It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron Jodlowski. I'm your other co-host, Laura Warren Hughes, and uh, it's it's a beautiful spring day here in Missouri. Finally, after another snowmageddon, so I hope wherever you are, it's just as beautiful there, and you're enjoying um, a beautiful March day. Is it pretty in Illinois yet? No, I would say not. And I think our guest from Illinois would probably agree with me. It's probably muddy up there, right, Jeremy? Yeah, it's a little sticky today. I mean, the temps are finally a a little, uh, I guess we got a little relief, but yeah, it's still pretty muddy. And I think by the end of this week, we'll be done with mud, uh, hopefully, and uh, back to some hopefully permanent spring temps. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so too. Yes, but this week's guest is Jeremy Francine from the Friendly Francine Acres Dairy Goats, or as his papers say, the FFA Dairy Goats there. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your upbringing in the dairy goat uh, industry? Sure. Um, we are, our farm is located in Poplar Grove, Illinois. Uh, grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, grew up on the farm that my grandpa started on and dad took over for him and uh, milked cows up until 1997 when I graduated from college and decided I wanted to come home and farm. And so we uh, found that dairy goats pretty were pretty intriguing and made the switch in 1997 to dairy goats and have been a commercial dairy goat producer ever since. So this past January uh, marked 25 years that we've been in the dairy goat industry. Wow. Congratulations. That's you you need somebody to like give you a week's vacation or something for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how that happened because I, I still am like only 35 years old, but not really. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know that the time did definitely go past go past fast. And uh, I'm not sure where 25 years went, but that's just pretty amazing. And Jeremy, you uh, commercial herd and where do you guys ship your milk to? Our milk goes to uh, Saputo Milk Company up in uh, Belmont, Wisconsin. Awesome. So Jeremy's going to talk a little bit about his commercial dairy here and some of and some of the accolades that he has because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna brag for Jeremy, but Jeremy does some amazing stuff with uh, Utter Health uh, for his goats there. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But first, Laura, what's happening at your place? Well. We just had our first set of AI babies this year. So uh, we've got three sets coming this week. And the first one came. And uh, since it's Caroline's dough, so um, I'm going to let her make the Facebook announcement. But this will come out a little bit after that. So uh, she was blessed with twin dough kids. So that's always kind of fun. So um, anyway, it's just nice nice to see the fruits of an AI effort with something that I'm going to get to keep long-term. So it's, it's fun to have AI babies. And um, I am taking this next week off as a staycation from work because I have like five or six does due. And of course, lots of babies to feed. And um, I am so looking forward to it. I mean, trips, trips into exotic places are great, 
but in my heart, there's no place like home. So I'm going to have fun being here and just being a farm wife for, for a week, I think. So that's about it here. What about you, Cameron? Um, I, I'm tired. Like that's no joke here. The time change is hitting me. Uh, in addition to that, we had uh, six goats due this weekend. One due on Thursday morning, one Thursday morning. So two on Saturday and then four all into the night or all into the morning. So um, we wrapped up our last kidding of March here um, probably about two hours ago. Um, and uh, happy to say that the doe fairy came and gave us some better ratios this set of kidding than previous kiddings. Um, but nonetheless, now uh, we're just dealing with dumb kids, as I tell them. Um, you know, those first, like, four hours in that first feeding of, of, of colostrum, they're just dumb. Like they just, they haven't figured out the program yet. So um, dealing with that right now, um, we're now milking 22 goats, which for Jeremy probably is a vacation. Um, but for us, that's, that's a lot there. Um, and we registered some goats as well. And when we registered those goats, we registered them on Sunday. Uh, we got the papers back on Saturday. So six day turnaround time for the office, but there was nothing really complicated about these registries as well. Um, so lots of good stuff happening here. Isn't that kind of what we've been hearing though from members? If it's a plain white vanilla, straightforward, nothing exciting registration, those seem to go just fine. Especially if you do them online, you get the papers back quickly, not issues with them. Um, I'm not going to touch the American versus purebred thing. Just typically, it seems like it does a decent job getting it registered. It's those ones that have something a little bit out of the ordinary that we're still tripping up on. So, yeah, it's it's the eighty twenty rule where if you can do eighty percent of what you need it to do, um, it, 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 the system is technically passing in terms of IT world. Um, but you know, it's that twenty percent that really confuses uh, people, and we do have some complicatedness in the in the goat world. There, um, I know last year I helped Jeremy with some of his complicatedness of the system as well. There. Um, was able to get some goats registered as well there. I hope you are able to get some sleep. I agree. This time change, it always messes me up. Jeremy, what does that do for you on a dairy basis? Does that, do you, do you just pull the, the bandaid off and jump forward to the new, new time to milk or. So spring is a lot easier for me than, than fall. Um, fall, I try and split the difference for the, uh, a little bit um, that, you know, the first couple days I might go a half an hour to kind of get them accustomed. This morning, um, I kind of ripped the Band-Aid off. We went out with some friends last night and uh, was I wasn't out too late, but late enough. And so that alarm went off and I did, I did kind of, I was like, oh, I just, I want to lay here for a little longer. And so I did kind of, I didn't get started like I should have. Um, so they were, which was fine in the spring because of course it can, it's technically we, we try and get started at four o'clock. Well, it was quarter to five before I started. Well, those does actually think it's quarter to three and or quarter to four in their world, excuse me, quarter to four. And so in their world, I'm actually starting a little earlier than, than I should actually be starting. So I was, it was, this was kind of a nice, uh, Nice change of pace for me because I got a little, I got to sleep in a little bit longer than I normally do, and I still lost the hour. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't too terribly worried about you know oversleeping a little bit this morning. Well, that's good. 
Very good. And, and Jeremy, you had some kids born today too? Uh, yes, we just won so far. Um, our march is kind of slow. We did freshen some yearlings in uh, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, and um, just a three or four yearlings and one older mature doe and then one yearling this morning. So March is pretty much uh, downtime for me, which is kind of nice. Um, catch up a little bit. We had we were pretty busy in January and February, so it gives us a little break um, this month. And then April and May pick up. Uh, I have 70, 70 to 75 does to freshen in in April and May. Oh, my goodness. Oh, cool. wow. wow. Yeah, here I am complaining about milking 22. <laughs> my, my, uh, my highlight... Uh, I guess it's kind of a highlight of my year. I have I'm down under ten does left to dry up, so I have I still have uh, nine or ten does to dry up for this year that are due in late May. Um, so nine or ten between the rest scattered from now till the end of March. Um, so when I get that last doe dried up, that's always kind of a highlight for me because I know two months from that time. That's going to be the end of my kidding for the year until, well, I shouldn't say for the year, at least until September when we freshen our fall group in. So it's kind of a nice uh, uh, landmark uh, in the time timeline for me. So do you, when do you pick up and start breeding again then for your, uh, so I'll start putting cedars in uh, the middle part of March, um, which is coming up here. And then I will breed, um, the first, you know, I leave cedars in for two weeks and then we'll breed the first of April for um, September kids. Okay. Wow. And what percentage of your herd do you freshen for fall? Kidding. Um, I try to freshen between, oh, uh, on any given year, it's different. Depends on what I have for young stock um, that I carried over. Um, I try to freshen in September, I try to freshen 30 to 40 does in. Okay. Wow, that's, that's that's a lot. Yeah, but nice to have that winter milk. I'm sure because you get yep, a premium it, for that, right? Yep, it definitely is nice to have the winter milk, and and uh, it keeps us going. We've been now twenty over twenty five years. We've never shut the milk pump off, so I've continuously milked year round uh, since we started in goats. So it's and and I was accustomed to that milking cows, so it really wasn't too much of a change for us, um, and. Yes, you're right. The winter milk is really nice because those milk chucks keep rolling in in the winter and and uh, help to pay the feed bill and keeps keep the lights on. So jumping back, Jeremy, talking about your family, um, you have another generation who's jumped in and is working with you on this, correct? Mm, yeah, Morgan is 11. So she, uh, I don't know, she's... Uh, been out in the barn with me since she was a month old and in her stroller in the parlor with me. And, and uh, she loves the, loves the goats. And I think it just popped up. I think it was March 8th, uh, two years ago, I popped up on my memories on Facebook that she pulled her first kid and I had had pretty much everything lined up. I knew that, you know, that things were correct and, and normal and, and, but she dug right in and, and uh, pulled her first kid, and the smile on her face. I I I love that picture because the smile on her face says it all. And uh, she she's uh, you know she's eleven going on twelve. She'll be twelve next month. And of course, you know the dreams of a of a child. And but she tells me all the time that she wants to become a vet, but she's coming back here to milk goats. 
And I, I'm like, well, if you become a vet, then uh, I don't know how the goat milking thing is going to work out. And she goes, well, you can milk for me while I go out and do vet work. And I'm like, well, what if I want to be retired by then? <laughs> well, you, you know, my dad still helps out uh, as much as he can around here, which is quite a lot. Um, but he, she says, well, grandpa's grandpa does it. So, you know, when you, when I'm old enough to do it, you can help me out just like grandpa does. So. <laughs> oh, I love that. I just love it. I think that's just wonderful. Oh yes. So yeah. we'll see a lot can change. She just, they just had career week and she sent me a message. She was at her mom's house and she sent me a message that morning and she wanted a teat dipper and rubber gloves. And I'm like, for what this it's rolling around in my mind. And I kind of forgot that it was career day uh, at school. And she says, well, it's career day and I want to be a goat milker. And so I need a tea dipper and rubber gloves because that's what you wear. And I'm like, okay. So I ran, met her at school and I ran the stuff up to her. And that's what she was for career day at school was a goat milker. So that's just wonderful. That's just wonderful. Very cool. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, moving right along here. Uh, no sponsor this week. I apologize. To, we have people that were willing to sponsor, but I apologize. Uh, time kind of got away with me, away from me here. Um, a lot going on in my world. Um, just uh, uh, with news to come on that, people. But a lot going on in my world, so I apologize for that. But we do have some ad good news, Laura. What happened this week? We do. Well, uh, to me, the most exciting thing. I mean, I was almost like jumping up and down at work. The fact that uh, the national show schedule came out along with the judging assignment. So uh, to me, once that comes out and it's like, yes, I can make my plans now. And it's it to me, that's just like one of the most exciting times of the year. I hope everybody else has taken the time to take a look at that and kind of plan out in their minds. If a trip to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is in uh, line for them, that they'll be able to do that. A couple details. We're not going to just announce the whole schedule and go through that. Um, but if you, again, look online if you want to see that there as well. But there is no early release this year like there was last year. I've been told that was a one-year COVID-related thing. I I wish it would have stayed. But we did, though, have a win in the shortened schedule. And we're going. you go in on Saturday and you get done on Thursday now. So that is kind of a win there from COVID. I really like that shortened schedule idea. I I don't know if that's going to get to be a long-term thing, especially as more breeds are added in. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But if that shortened schedule stays, that sure does make it nice for people who can get home in the weekend and still make it back to work on Monday. Um, gives you a little bit of extra time. And and I think if I read this right, Cameron, tell me if if I read this okay. They're probably going to release you Thursday evening after the Colorama sale and the award ceremony, but you can stay as long as you're gone by noon on Friday. Is that correct? That is my interpretation of the, um, of the schedule. Like, uh, you know, I'm going to leave on Friday. Now they'll leave on Thursday, which will be nice. And it kind of adds, um, maybe if you have a two day trip, it kind of adds you uh, a day to recover because we all know we need that recovery day. Um, after a vacation or a showcase. You know, the other thing about leaving on Thursday night, I, of course, I haven't been to Harrisburg since 1988, so that was a long time ago, but I just remember how hot it was. 
And end of June, first part of July, you're always going to be running up into heat. So being able to drive during the night is kind of a nice option too, if, if you're worried about the heat on your animals during the daytime. So, yeah, uh, a couple things here with this year. Um, one is the Guernseys and there's been some call on the Facebook world about, oh, Guernseys were included this and that. And there was a vote that was done on the national show committee and they voted against showing Guernseys there. Now there's discussions about what could be done for um, this breed. Again, the national show committee made a decision on that. Um, but I mean, it, it did come out of the national show committee. There are some things that could be done, but I, I don't really know. Well, and when I read the results on that, I guess I read it maybe a little bit differently. I didn't see that it was so much against allowing the Guernseys to show. I saw that it was more of, um, we're just not sure how that this could work out. So it's not, it's not a never, it's a, it's a not at this time. We don't have all yeah. the information that we need. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's anybody who doesn't want the Guernseys to be there. You know, I, I feel like that our Guernsey people have been so patient and I'd, I'd probably be hopping mad if I were a Guernsey breeder. I, you know, there's no doubt about that, but I think we also need to make sure that we have everything in place for it. And the fact of the matter is if one of the big concerns is rooms pinning at the national show, I think I wasn't at Harrisburg the last time, but I know you were Cameron was pinning an issue when it was there in in 2016? Yeah, I would say it was. Space is, I mean, space is always a concern. You don't want to have to go have a tent for flood over. I mean, that's bad. In Colorado, when there was a tent, I mean, there was flooding in the tent and there was mostly host people in the tent as well. So not really great to see and not really a great reward for those people that were hosting the Nationals. Uh, and additionally, a tent brings in extra insurance costs and extra costs as well in order to get that tent, put it up, take it down, renew have pens for that, remove the manure there. I mean, there is a significant cost when you add a tent in there. And I heard some people talking about that as a possible solution. However, that adds a, a significant amount of cost. In addition to that, at the national show last year, there was um, kind of some different, or in, last time in Pennsylvania, there was some space considerations. I know they used that extra ring area there. And I know, um, and those, they kept the lights on in that ring area all, all night there. Um, so I know that was a thing and it did get really cold in the facility as well. Yeah, I heard that. So it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that works out this year. Of course, every time you go to a facility, you know it a little bit better, you know what their limitations are and, and what you can work around. So, um, you know, I, I would say to our Guernsey listeners, I hope we have some, um, there, there, this story may not be closed. I mean, there may be, there may be some opportunities for some exhibition. I, I kind of got the idea that maybe it would be revisited. Did you get that idea, Cameron? Yeah, I, I think, and I think we'll talk about this quickly next year as well with a potential decrease in numbers because of the rising cost to attend the national show. Um, you know, I, there might be some open space for it. I don't, they're not going to be in the, be able to be shown at with the pretty ribbons and be able to show it. it'll be an exhibition opportunity it's not going to be an addition to the schedule i think that's pretty cut and clear um however Aaron, I, with, yeah i have a question on that exhibition yeah. thing what exactly does that mean does that just mean that they come to the show and they're in the pins and you walk by the pins and see them yep. is there an opportunity that they walk them through the ring just kind of as a 
hey, meet our newest breed. We're not showing for for prizes, but you know we do want you to have a chance to see them in their uttered glory. Or what does exhibition mean? Um, exhibition means they're sitting in the pens and they're hanging out like that. They're they're not going to be able to walk through the ring. They're not going to be able to be shown. No pretty ribbons get handed out there. It is simply just you are there and you are just hanging out and people are there to look at your goats. So kind of a way to say that we're serious. We're moving forward with making this an official breed and and a busy breed in Adga. And, um, you know, we're here. We want you to see us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What do you think, Jeremy, do you think numbers will be down at nationals because of gas prices? I think, I think they probably will. Uh, People's are, people are going to start making their plans uh, sooner rather than later. I mean, we're only, you know, four or five months off right now, four months off right now, pretty much. Um, and people got to start making plans and these fuel prices aren't going down. They're only getting higher. And I think people are going to look at, have to take some tough, take a tough look at some decisions this summer about what they want to do. So, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be able to go to 10 goat shows this year. Yeah, I don't either. And, you know, it's it's sad because, of course, you know, at the end of the year, you start sitting back and thinking, oh, this year we're going to go here and I want to go there. And and we even talked about that on a prior podcast, you know, making plans to maybe go to a show that's farther outside from where you've been before or a new thing. And and I know that we're already cutting cutting back on those kind of decisions at this point. Yeah, I think it makes it tough, really tough, too, because we're coming off of the, you know, COVID pandemic where pretty much 2020, there were no shows. People got back into it a little bit last year, but I think there are still a lot of people that were hesitant. So this would really be the third year in a row that people aren't going to be able to really get out like they they want to and and go to these shows to to do to show off their goats. Yeah, and I think it's I think, effect. Oh, go ahead, Cameron. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to. There's a downstream consequence as well for those shows that you know are are taking on you know judges as well there, and they're flying them in, and there obviously is an added expense now um, with with all the F things rising there. So a show has to make more money um, in order to cover those costs. Yeah, it's just hard all around. It's it, it'll be interesting to see how that this year flies and and we go and and unfortunately. Um, probably will even impact convention this fall if things aren't drastically better and and may not see the great prices that we saw from the spotlight sale. I mean, it's just, you're right. There's a downstream effect that, that just affects all of us. So um, I, one of those effects though, if milk keeps going higher in the grocery stores, Jeremy, I would hope that milk prices will continue to go up for you as well. Uh, we saw, we got a little bit of a raise this year, but it wasn't even, um, it wasn't, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, but I'm happy that we got, you know, a little bit of a raise, but it doesn't even begin to cover the, the increase in costs that we've gotten to this point this year and, and, uh, you know, pretty much forecasted for the rest of this year. So it was, I was appreciative of that we got something, but it really didn't even uh the not even touch the tip of the iceberg to what we needed to to make a profit this year so this year last year was tough with the feed costs were pretty high last year still uh feed costs are going up um milk replacer is now over a hundred dollars a bag 
um, for a calf milk replacer for a 50 pound bag is now over a hundred dollars a bag, which I've talked to quite a few people. And I remember talking to them two or three years ago when it hit $80 a bag thinking eh, it can't go up any higher. And now we're at a hundred dollars a bag. So, um, the, our costs are just skyrocketing this year. And I, I really, we're going to tread water and, you know, we'll, we'll make the most of it and, and do the best we can. But uh, this is not going to be a profitable year for us. And hopefully the milk company can uh, take a look at things maybe even, you know, halfway through the year with the way fuel costs are and feed costs are and, and say, look, we understand that, you know, this is going to be a tough year. So maybe they'll, they'll ante up a little more and, and uh, help us producers out. Let's keep our fingers crossed on that. Cameron, I know that um, in a prior podcast that we had mentioned how the payment that you get at the pepperoni man or the sale barn or however you want to put it is on the upside. Um, one of my friends told me that she's sold several milking does for what she considers to be premium prices. So perhaps people are, you know, once again, looking at dairy goats as a family milk producer. And uh, there's a call for that for those animals too, which is good to see. I think. I think one thing that's really interesting is that Saputo, um, and I don't know if Jeremy, you saw this as well, that they're putting in a new cheese plant. They're putting a new facility in, was it Franklin, Wisconsin? Yes. Yep. So I, I think yep. that's only going to raise demand as well there. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, from my understanding is that is simply a distribution facility. It's not a production facility. It's simply for distribution. That's my understanding from what, what I've heard and from what I've read. Um, and I could be wrong on that, but, um, which, you know, it's still a facility. So, you know, obviously they're, they're hedging their bets that, that, uh, you know, sales and production are going to be higher that they need, they need a facility like that. So hopefully you're right. That does, uh, hopefully come, you know, come down the pipe a little bit to us. <laughs> Let's hope we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. Yeah. Uh, one thing, one last thing in ag news as well. On March 22nd, there's going to be a series of town hall meetings. Laura, do you want to go into detail about that, about the Adga town hall meetings as a director? Sure. Um, Ed mentioned it last week on our podcast, and um, hopefully everybody has received the email from Adga, or if you haven't found that in your email, have seen it on social media. But um, on the 22nd of March, every district has some time allotted to them in the evening. So hopefully people have time to um, get home from work if they work outside the home and and can work around chores and be part of it. But it's a town hall and members are invited to send questions that they have to their directors. And, and um, that's really just to kind of help keep things moving along. We have eight districts in Atticus, so we want to make sure that everybody has time to take care of this and, and um, feel like that their concerns are heard. So if you have something that you really would like to um, hear addressed on this town hall meeting, please reach out to one of your directors and give them the, the question. This kind of helps your directors to know what to expect, helps us to do some research if needed to answer your question. And, and hopefully um, this will help everybody feel like that they have the answers that they're looking for. And, and, um, can understand how Agda is moving forward through all of this. We know that this has been rough and, and hopefully this will help everybody have a little more communication and see what's going on. I believe, I believe they're going to be recorded if you're not able to be part of it. So, um, you know, if for some reason you're working or, or whatever, I think you will be able to listen to the recording. So. Yeah. Uh, 
All right. Well, that's awesome. We're looking forward to hearing uh, those here in, in about two weeks. Um, but moving right along to our main topic here, utter health and why it's important. And Jeremy, uh, we're excited to have you on to talk about this because you have done some amazing work and won some actual awards for your somatic cell counts and kind of your utter health and promotion of that there. So first off, to set baseline here, what uh, what success have you had kind of with your somatic cell count and the awards you've won there? Um, so we were, um, when they finally started recognizing it for quite a few years before that, before they handed out an award, I I I don't know that I was the lowest uh, but for uh, we were shipping at the time we were shipping to um, Coblina, um, which changed hands to Savencia was the name of the cheese factory. Um, and for uh, I can't five or six years running, we won the the highest uh, uh, quality awards for the lo- having the lowest max cell count of, of any goat producer that shipped milk to them. Um, Still, Saputo doesn't hand out awards for that stuff anymore, but uh, um, we still try, strive to ship a quality product and, and do the best we can. Awesome. Well, that's awesome there. Um, and I guess kind of diving right into it and talking about it here and looking at Utter Health is on a commercial dairy level, why does Utter Health matter to you guys? So Utter Health matters um, in a commercial dairy goat herd uh, because we... Uh, the utter health affects that animal's productivity and it also affects their longevity. So the, uh, the more, the less that animal has to fight off as far, as far as mastitis or, or other issues that they are going to stay productive in my herd and, um, stay around longer. And it gets more and more expensive to raise kids up every year. So if I can keep an animal in my herd longer, that's less replacements that I have to raise up to um, to bring it back into my herd, which affects my bottom line. I can totally understand that. And, um, you know, I think because you also have show animals as well, it does impact that also, right? Oh, it definitely does. The, the you know, you don't, you'd never want to see a, a, any goat, but especially, you know, Morgan's favorite show goat comes in, you know, one day and one side's completely blown up, which actually did happen last year. Um, I did have to get rid of one of her show goats and I did fight it. Um, and she just, she just, I just never was able to get her over it. But, you know, typically once you have an issue, that doe is going to be lopsided on, you know, heavier on one side than the other. And so it, you know, and it never, it's never the, the, I shouldn't say never, but typically Murphy's Law says it's never going to be that run-of-the-mill goat. It's going to be somebody's favorite goat that that comes in, you know, one morning and and has uh, got 104 temp and one side's all blown up. Jeremy, we've talked a lot or we've mentioned a little bit about somatic cell count. In your opinion as a dairy goat producer, what is somatic cell count? So somatic cell count is an indicator of the – I'd say the best indicator – or the easiest indicator to tell on a lactating dairy goat, uh, the animal's health, um, and how, how, uh, the, the quality of milk she's shipping. Gotcha. I mean, that makes, that makes sense there. What's the difference between kind of a somatic cell count and maybe a, a other types of blood cell count? So, so the somatic cell count and, and, and only in the lactating dairy animal, because obviously in kids, you don't have, 
uh, a producing uh, a milk producing animal. So somatic cell counts are simply the white blood cells in milk, and so th- it's a uh, an easy indicator as long as uh, you know you're paying attention to it and watching it um, to to know the health of that that milk goat. I see. So kind of like lab lab work in a human or yeah, in a human where you watch somatic or you watch white blood cell count in their blood work. This is a non-invasive way to kind of see the same thing in your dairy goats as far as is there an infection brewing here? Yep. The the easiest and and most uh, definite way to to tell in a lactating animal, a lot of the, you know, I don't know anybody that's doing this in goats. Um, but you know, so many of the, the cow herds have become so modern, modernized that they're monitoring, you know, temperature of the milk, uh, every milking, you know, and some of them somatic cell count, they're monitoring, um, how much that cow is active during, throughout the day. And, and some, some, you know, the, for the producers on the dairy cow side, they honestly know when that cow's sick. Most of the time, before the cow does, if they're paying attention to to the indicators, I don't know anybody that's that's taken that that far in the dairy goat industry. But um, definitely through testing, um, we can we can tell that fairly easily and and fairly quickly. So very interesting, Jeremy. You're on DHI A or R or whatever which one it is, correct? Yep. So DHIA, correct. DHIA. We are simply owner sampler. Gotcha. Um, we are not for what we're doing um, to go to take it to the next level. It's simply um, for us. It's simply a management tool. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't need a. a the records to 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 back up what I'm doing as far as uh, on the um, the ADGA side. Um, simply, what we do is simply a management tool for us on the farm. So you're doing that once, and you're getting that. Obviously, you're getting that somatic cell count once monthly. Correct there. Correct. Um, through DHI, we get it. We test once a month, um, and if I have a problem or think there's a problem, I can either run um, somatic cell counts through my milk company or uh, through the vet's office. My vet's office here can run milk samples for me too, and I can get those if I think there's an issue. Typically, you know, I I, I know, um, you know, if a goat has a, an issue, her somatic cell count is going to be higher. So that once a month test is primarily all we do for um, for somatic cell count, unless I feel there's an absolute need for it. Um, thinking about your somatic cell counts, what kind of things have you noticed go into a play go into play in keeping that lower? Um, I'm sure that there's lots of things and and maybe some management things that you guys have discovered that really do make a big difference. So yes, I would say. There is some genetic correlation. Um, I, if I was to put a percentage on it, I would say twenty percent. You know, genetic correlation. This is strictly my opinion, just through you know the years of experience. There are animals that that will pass that on. You know, if they're a higher cell count doe, they can pass that on to offspring. So I do. There are does that I worry about that I you know if I 
definitely see that pattern. And I've got a doe that's, uh, you know, consistently runs high is, is pushing a million every time. And, and we get a daughter fresh out of her and, and she's the same way. Um, we definitely make some management decisions on that line, but I would say 80% of it is, um, herd management and, uh, animal husbandry. Um, we do, um, I, I, I guess to step back a little bit, DHIA, I've, I've heard this phrase before and I think it pertains, it's, it's perfect, fits perfect for, uh, DHIA. And I've heard this from so many producers throughout the years that, um, oh, I can't afford to do it to, to test. I can't afford to go on test. I can't afford to, to send, to have those milk samples sent in. Well, DHIA is a tool that doesn't cost, it pays. Um, and that's a, you know, a phrase that I, uh, I have used over the, a lot of years with a lot of producers and, and DHIA does not cost me any money. It makes me money when it comes to management, management decisions. So Jeremy, thinking about kind of those management decisions you make and, and what you do for somatic cell count, uh, what's kind of the components that make up kind of that somatic cell count in your herd? And what are some of the contributing factors that lead to either higher somatic cell count or lower somatic cell counts? So the somatic cell counts, um, as we, I think we've touched on a little bit, is the white blood cells in, in milk. So that's a contributing factor to in a, in a you know, definitely a, a good indicator of the health of the animal. So I think the, the uh, first and foremost, the biggest contributing factor to uh, utter health and somatic cell count problems is your milkers um, and vacuum pump and, and everything that, that uh, touches that teat. So we, um, we change out our inflations four times a year, every three months. And that's a huge thing. If your inflations are worn out, they they don't collapse right, and you don't actually cut off the the vacuum to that teat end. So you've got constant pressure on that teat end, or vacuum on that teat end, I should say. And so it tends to lead to a lot of teat end damage, which can lead to problems when the goat's laying down that orifice doesn't close up properly. Uh, so you know, definitely making sure you're on top of your your milkers. Uh, we have our milkers checked periodically to go through to make sure our pulsation rate is right, uh, make sure our pulsation ratio is right, make sure the vacuum's where it needs to be. Um, and I, you know, a lot of times we have a vacuum gauge in the parlor that I can see. It's it's right, you know, in front of my face, but it still doesn't hurt to check to make sure that vacuum gauge is right and reading correctly because there are times where you know those things get messed up, they get old and don't work properly. So that's a that's a huge contributing factor to utter health and, you know, keeping your somatic cell count low, lower. Um, if your teat end, teat end has, you know, a lot of damage to, to it because of the milkers uh, and because of poor inflations, um, you, that goat, like I said, you go out in the, you know, go out in the manure and lays down and, and that's just a, of basically that teat end is a vacuum for bacteria if it's not sealed up properly. Um, as far as, you know, keeping your Smedex hull count low, um, along the same lines, making sure that your milking time is proper, you know, you're not going, you know, you're not putting a milker on a goat and, uh, going out and, you know, feeding a couple kids or, you know, whatever you think, oh, it only takes me a few minutes. I can, I have time. 
Um, and I stress that to the, to the people that the kids that milk for me, uh, when you're, when you've got milkers on, that's what you're doing. You are paying attention to those milkers, not going out and switching groups because it may not in your mind, it may not seem like a lot of time, but, um, you know, a, a couple minutes makes a huge difference. And so making sure those milkers are getting on and off at a proper time, uh, you're not over milking, you're not under milking that, that dough, that, that's a huge, huge contributing factor to TETA and health as well. Um, I have to tell a little bit of a story to go back a long, long time. My dad used to pick up milk and he, he pulled into a farm that there were always done milking and the vacuum pump was still on. So he fiddled around and, you know, went in the milk house and there's still milk in the jar. And so he's like, this seems weird. So he just stuck his head in the barn and the cows are all still in the barn. And so he walks in and here the guy had laid down on a bale of straw in the middle of the aisle and fell asleep. And here's milkers still on cows. Dad had no idea how long he'd been sleeping for, but there was milkers still on cows and he went and woke him up and, and, uh, but I can only imagine how those cows felt. So, um, you know, making sure you're getting milkers on and off, uh, properly is, is a huge factor too. That makes me hurt just to think about it. Those poor cows. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's always been a running joke. Dad likes to tell that story every now and again. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, do we want to touch on nutrition as far as that goes, keeping your SmidXL count low? Yeah, but I'd like to also circle back on teeth and health afterwards. But yes. Okay. So we, you know, making sure, obviously making sure your goats are as healthy as possible contributes to a healthy immune system. So, you know, proper feeding of minerals and, and vitamins and, you know, making sure that your goats have a, a free choice mineral. Um, feed quality also doesn't have a direct effect on TDN damage or other health, but if your goat is healthy and they're getting the proper diet, then their immune systems are working properly so that if they do have an issue, they're a lot more likely to be able to fight it off um, versus a goat that's, you know, a sickly goat and, you know, 10, 20 pounds underweight and doesn't have the best immune system. So that definitely helps. Uh, we have uh, three products that we feed from two different companies. Um, the first, first two products are from a company called Farm Life Nutra. Um, they're based out of Pennsylvania. Uh, the, they're both a, a powdered, uh, a powder that we put on in the parlor. Uh, one is called Formula M, and we use that for every goat that goes through the parlor. And all that is is a uh, vitamin mineral supplement that also has direct fed microbials in it. And so it it aids to keep the immune system working properly. It also has other benefits other than, you know, to keep the cell count low. Basically, it's a it's an immunosupplement to, to keep the immune system stronger, but it does help to keep that cell count a little lower. Uh, the other product that I use from them is called Vitamix, and that's a product that I use only on uh, high Smex cell count goats, goats that typically have a problem. And also I use it on goats that are two weeks post-fresh or right after they freshen up to two weeks post-fresh. Just scalps to get to kick that immune system into gear to get the the goat, you know, make sure her rumen's back in, you know, shape after she has kids. 
And also it's just a, this, basically the same thing. It's just got a little different formulation of vitamins and minerals, but it really helps to knock that cell count down. If that goat does have an issue, um, it helps to, you know, boost that, really kick that immune system into gear and fight off whatever she's got going on. The other product I use um, is from a company called Ralco, and I believe they're in Minnesota. Um, but that product's called Fight Strong. That's actually a, a pellet that we put on. And I use it for uh, the kind of the same same way as Vitamix. I use it for all of the goats uh, post-fresh to two weeks post-fresh. And then I also top dress it for all of my higher Smidex Hell Count goats. And that is actually a an essential oil-based pellet. So essential oils are really, really beneficial for um, the health of the, of the animal, um, just the same as they are as, for humans. I mean, it, it's a... Um, it's, it's really beneficial just like it is for us, uh, as well as the animal. I always, I think, uh, the, they have, uh, they have basil and oregano in them. So I always tell people that they, it kind of smells like a pizza parlor in my parlor. So (laughs) they, uh, uh, the goats eat it really well. And, and it, I think it contributes to, you know, to help bring some of those, some goats are typically just a higher somatic cell count goat. There's not, nothing that is, a uh, maybe wrong with them, but if there is an issue, it definitely helps to to fight that issue off and and to help get that goat back to back to uh, uh, good health and hopefully bring her somatic cell count down. So before Cameron asks his teat health um, question, one thing that I always have kind of wondered: I'm guessing that your vacuum setting has um, something to do also with somatic cell count. Is that correct? Yes, uh, we run our vacuum about 12 and a half inches. Um, we have a high line. Our parlor is a high line. So we have to run it a little bit higher. If you run a low line parlor, you can get away with a, you know 11 to 11 and a half inches. You don't have to have that uh, quite so high. Um, but so yes, I, it, it definitely you need to you need to make sure you keep an eye on that vacuum. whether you're running a, a you know single uh, of your portable, you know, if you've got one or two goats that you're milking, or you've got two or three thousand goats that you're milking, definitely you cannot uh, stress enough to make sure you're paying attention to that vacuum and and uh, the vacuum pump and making sure that's in good working order. Okay, yeah, I, I never thought about that. And Laura, it's funny you asked that because I had that written down as well to ask him about as well there. Um, but talking about tea and health, because I don't, I don't feel like it's ever really talked about very much um and there's when we all know on this podcast that there's definitely not enough research about teat and health and goats just mostly in cows um but what are you finding or what are you doing specifically for teat and health in your herd so we um so to teat to protect teat and health um you know to touch we touched on a little bit about the milkers um we do not um, I have over the course of 25 years, I have run the gamut. Um, I have pre-dipped, I have stripped goats out. I have, um, used the, the, uh, chlorhexidine wipes. I have tried a little bit of everything over the first, over the course of the years to help to ensure that my cell counts low and to make sure that my, you know, teat end health is good. I'm not getting that bacteria or keeping the bacteria off the teat to, you know, hopefully prevent anything with all of the pre uh pre dip pre you know pre milking 
stuff, I have never found a difference. Um, and I've done it long enough that, uh, in, in experimental experimented long enough that really didn't see any benefit to any of that. And the big difference is in goats versus cows In cows, you know, if anybody that milks cows is listening to this, they're going, Oh my gosh, you can't, you don't, you don't pre-dip, you don't, you know, strip out. So goats, uh, their letdown time is so short that basically when you put that milker on, their their milk is they're ready to go. Uh, where cows take anywhere from you know minute to three minutes to let down milk, um, so they have to pre dip and and strip out. So that's a big difference in goats versus cows. Um, and as far as after milking goes, you know, everything we've talked about, about the milkers that holds true. And as far as after milking goes, we do use a teat dip. Um, it's an iodine teat dipped. It's, it's got a, I believe it's 10% emollient in it, um, to, which is a skin, skin conditioner to keep the, that teat soft and, and keep it, if there's a chafing or a chapping is ch- chapped issue that, uh, that skin can heal. But uh, so we use a, it's a barrier dip, so it's a little thicker and stays on a little longer. And so what that does, um, if that goat goes out and lays down, um, you know, if she goes out and goes right out into the pen and lays down, that teat dip will help to protect that teat and kind of seal it up to keep getting back from bacteria or to keep from getting bacteria into to that teat end until that sphincter muscle has time to close that orifice up, which is ideally your your best defense of, uh, as far as keeping bacteria out. If that orifice is closed up properly, if that sphincter muscle is working, um, that's your best defense about from keeping bacteria out. And that's where T-dent damage comes into play. If you start getting, seeing that black scab, um, it, you know, on your T-dents, that T-dent, that orifice is not able to seal up properly to keep that bacteria out. Yeah, I had another question here. I was thinking about this here. When I milk in cold weather, I tend to notice that there is more, I don't want to say utter damage or TN health problems, but I, maybe more scabbing or chafing that does happen there. Do you do anything special for that? Or maybe it's just the fact that I handle it in cold weather. We do uh, this actually just this year, we switched to a different product. Um, it's the same exact teat dip but the emollient level they raise up they call it a winter dip is all they call it um and they raise that emollient level up so basically i i I should remember the percentage but i can't remember the exact percentage but they add propylene glycol to it which is antifreeze um and so what that does is if you go out you know when you when i turn and for my circumstance when i turn goats out of the parlor they don't go outside, but that barn is still cold. If it's zero outside, it's still cold in the barn. Uh, and so basically that antifreeze keeps that teat, at, that teat you know, from freezing. Um, and also you can even do more, or I shouldn't say more damage, maybe as much damage if you're using a teat, a teat dip that doesn't have any emollients in it, or uh, it, it can actually freeze. If your goats are going outside and, you know, uh, or their barns drafty, you can actually, that teat dip will freeze. Uh, you know, if you, if you put your hand in water, if you're outside in the wintertime and your hands dry, it's probably, you know, it's cold. But if you put your hand in a stock tank 
and then go outside with no glove on, your hand's going to be a heck of a lot colder with when it's wet. And the the teat is the, is no different. So um, in that instance, uh, we just switched to that this year, and it seemed like it paid off. We only used it um, when we got down into that oh, I would say below fifteen degrees, you know, fifteen or twenty degree range. Um, but you know, above that, even though it's cold outside, our barn's still above freezing, so I don't worry about it too much. But it did seem like it paid off this year. We didn't have uh, any issues with with tea dens this winter, and so I, I think it's a product I'm going to keep using uh, next winter and beyond. So that kind of leads us. Um, <clears throat> so in the summertime, do you have any concerns? Are there any special concerns with somatic cell counts during the summertime? I, I feel like that you know. Okay, we've hit on the cold winters, but I would imagine that sometimes in the summer you have some more issues too. I think um, more so in the summer, it's simply, uh, I mean, if your goats are outside, obviously there's a, there can be issues with sunburn, um, you know, getting otters sunburned. And if it's, you know, bad enough, obviously, you know what, some everybody everybody's done it. Everybody knows what sunburn's like. So, but I think more so, um, with goats in the summertime, it's simply because um, stage of lactation. Typically, our goats are freshening in the spring, and so summertime hits, and they're they're in that you know sixty to hundred and day hundred and twenty day range in their lactation. So they're at peak production. So I think that's that is probably a more key factor in the summertime is is just that you want to make sure that goat's comfortable, um, so or as comfortable as she can be. And, and that's going to help to fight off anything too. You know, if you've got ventilation, if she's got fans versus, you know, or shade versus laying out in the sun with that utter tight because she's milking, you know, 15 pounds a day. I think that's just to reduce the stress level that that animal's under during the summer. I think that's your, probably your biggest factor to keep your, you know, somatic cell count lower. So then along with that, um, those, endless muddy springs that we have in the Midwest. Um, I'm guessing that again, even, even that has a big effect as well. If they're, if they're in the mud and wet like that. Yep. Most definitely. I, you know, going back to uh, when we milk cows, our goats are inside, so we don't have an issue with that. But I know going back to milking when we milk cows in the springtime, you know, we did, we'd wipe cows obviously pre-dip or, or wipe cows and then strip i know i mean we could change a bucket of water 10 15 times during a milking in the spring when it was muddy out because it was just it was a nightmare and the cows were always coming in with you know mud or dirt caked on the rudder because they went out and laid down in the cool mud you know where it's nice and cool at and they're kind of their own worst enemy. So, you know, springtime, if your goats are outside, definitely uh, would consider or would, would contribute to, you know, outer health and, and a higher somatic cell count if you're not on top of things. What about those does that might be either, um, do, you, do you, I mean, our friend Randy, he subscribes to the longer lactation length. Do you do that a lot? Yep. I milk, uh, Probably not as much as Randy does, but I milk quite a few of my does through. Um, we do a lot of out-of-season breeding. So in my instance, it works for me. It's not for everybody. So typically, I will breed uh, at about a year, 
um, into lactation. So at about that 365 day range is when I'm when I'm breeding. So they're my lactations are typically you know about a year and a half from one kidding to the next. Um, as far as some XL count and extended lactations. I don't see any contributing factor to that. There are goats that do typically get lower. Um, if I'm milking a doe through in the winter, you know, her production drops off. She may, her smex cell count go, may go up a little bit, but um, it, it's it got a lot to do, a lot more to do with, with utter health and, and the health of the animal. I've got a goat. Uh, she just popped up on my two dry list. We just tested on Saturday. Um, she is, I can tell you right off the top of my head as I look on my phone here, um, she is due to be dried up on today's Thursday. Should she be due to be dried up on Monday? Uh, her cell count is 71,000 and she has been in milk. She's a first lactation goat. She's been in milk for 315 days right now. And her, her somatic cell count is 71,000. I have... A couple more on my list that are a little bit higher, but I love, I mean, when I can see a goat that's going dry and, you know, she's a week or two from being dried off and her somatic cell count is still, you know, 100,000 or under. I know I've got another one on my list. She is uh, 283 days in milk and due to be dried up in three weeks. And her last somatic cell count test was 100 uh, and her, and this current somatic cell count test when we tested on Saturday is a hundred as well. And she's three weeks from being dried off. I will take those goats all day long. That, that makes me, uh, really happy to see numbers like that. So, um, I don't think extended lactations contribute so much to higher somatic cell counts. Um, as long as you're doing the right thing, uh, management wise, I think you can still manage those goats to a lower somatic cell count. So that kind of leads to another question then um, that doe that is so far into her lactation is, is so low. Do you see that running in certain lines? Um, she is so young that I obviously don't know yet. Um, and I should know this, but I don't, um, her dam, uh, her dam was, she is not actually not any no no longer here, uh, but her dam was a very low somatic cell count goat too. So um, it can definitely be tr- contributing factor. I don't think it's a uh, it's a huge factor. Um, there is some genetic correlation to it, but I don't think that's a huge contributing factor. But I'll definitely you know I do see lines that do run higher. I see lines that do run lower. So it it has some factor to to that contributes to it, but. More so the the herd management, I think, is your is de- not definitely is it definitely is the a higher contributing factor to somatic cell count. Gotcha. And are you finding a stronger maternal or paternal link to kind of genetics and somatic cell count? Uh, definitely maternal. Um, I know that uh, on the dairy cow side, they are actually on bull proofs. There are now uh, there is a, a score for somatic cell count. I have never had a buck um, that I've been able to pinpoint. Uh, yes, they're they're going. Your your daughters are going to be higher. Your daughters are going to be lower. They're kind of all over the board. I've never been able to pinpoint that, but definitely maternal line. 
Um, and I do see some lines that are um, higher lines and some lines that aren't. So it, it definitely is a, a factor more on the maternal side than it is on the paternal side. So one, I guess one more question as I'm racking my brain here is, so you talk about originally over milking and under milking and what's, I guess, how do you find that sweet spot there of a goat? Because we've, we've all over milked a goat and we've all under milked a goat, but where do you, when you, when you're milking a hundred goats, how do you find that sweet spot on each goat? Time. Uh, I know your goats. I think that comes that's uh, more of an experience thing. I will tell you that is definitely, uh, I have somebody that, that milks for me at night, you know, not all the time, but it just frees me up to do other things. So that is definitely the hardest thing when you're trying to train somebody to milk, to find that sweet spot, to not, you know, get to the point where the goat's eyeballs are getting sucked in, so to speak, <laughs> not literally, but so to speak. Um, versus leaving milk in that udder. I, you know, going back to college, my college days, and of course this was on the dairy cattle side, um, very important, and they stress this in all my dairy management classes, that uh, over-milking will do way more damage than under-milking a cow. So to carry that over to goats, uh, and this has always been my my problem, um, when you take a goat that's producing 16, 17, 18 pounds a day, you really, really, really need to find that sweet spot. Because if you undermelk that goat, which is the, the key they say when I was taught in college in all the dairy cattle management classes, undermelking is better versus overmelking. Well, okay, so if that goat's coming in tight, if you're leaving, you know, half a pound or, you know, whatever, in that goat's udder to ensure you don't overmelk her. The next time she comes in tight, the next time she comes in tighter, the next time, and eventually she's going to go, oh man, this is uncomfortable. So she's going to decrease that lactation or that, that production naturally because she's just uncomfortable. So it is definitely important to find that sweet spot to where you're not leaving the milker on too long, but to make sure you're getting all that milk out of that goat that you can, because I've got goats that still come in tight and, you know, that, that goat's carrying a lot of milk in that udder. You get a goat that's, that's milking 17, 18 pounds a day, and she's got over a gallon of milk in that tiny, you know, what isn't the size of a gallon jug typically. Um, and she's carrying a gallon, a gallon of milk in that every milking that she comes in. So it's, uh, it's a very important thing to manage. And I can't tell you other than to make sure you know your goats, I guess that's the, that's the most important fact because I couldn't Cameron, I couldn't go into your barn and go, Oh, okay, well I'll run through one of these goats through and Malcolm and you couldn't come into my, my barn and run my goats through and do it the same as we could because we know our goats better than anybody else. Any other last, any last thoughts, Jeremy, about somatic cell counts that we maybe didn't touch on today? Um, I, we touched on it, but I, I really, I can't, I, it's just, I guess I'm so passionate about this, but I really can't stress enough how beneficial DHIA is. Uh, And, you know, it's been in the cow world for decades, 
Um, and I still hear a lot of goat producers that say, oh, I can't afford to do it. It's one of those things you, you can't afford not to do it as far as I'm concerned. It's just, it's such an important management tool because, you know, for, to go to the production side, you can kind of look at a goat and get a good estimate of, yeah, okay, that goat's probably, you know, even if you put two goats side by side, okay, this goat's got a little bigger udder. Odds are she's probably milking more than the goat standing beside her. You have, without testing, you have zero clue what the, that goat's somatic cell count is. There are no indicators of what that goat's putting into your bulk tank on the commercial side, I should say. Um, what that goat's putting into your bulk tank for somatic cell. Uh, she could be the healthiest looking goat. You know, uh, you never have to worm her because she never has worm issues. She's got a great immune system. But her cell count is 2 million every every milking she's coming through there. And you have no clue without DHIA testing. So I, I guess I, I am pretty passionate about that. Um, and I, I, I do kind of cringe when, I've, when I hear, I've heard over the years, oh, I can't afford to, to test. It costs too much money. And I just think that's the wrong attitude to have about uh, DHIA testing. Well, that's a great way to sum it up. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for being this week's guest. We do appreciate your time, uh, as always. Uh, Jeremy, can you tell the listeners where they can find a little bit uh, more information about your herd and your farm? Sure. So we are located in Poplar Grove, Illinois. Uh, we are This year we'll be milking. I try to hit around 200. This year we'll be milking 170 to 175. Um, we are, our, you know, for our motto, um, and I don't, I, you know, I've, I don't, I don't cut corners. Uh, management is the most important thing and it's the biggest way to fail enough. And in this business, if you're not paying attention to details, but our kind of our farm, farm motto is to produce a quantity of quality. That's we've, we've had that on a, a couple different things. And I love that saying, um, you know, if you're, we want to produce a lot of quality on this farm and my, my SMAC cell count, I definitely pride myself in. Um, you know, it's not always where I want it to be, but if it's not where I want it to be, I'm looking for ways to get it to where I want it to be. Um, we we uh, we pull does right off the the or pull kids right off the does right off the bat, whether they're bucks or does. Um, we pull all of our kids right away. We do as much as we can to control the things that we can. There's a lot of things in this business that are out of your control. You guys both know that, but you know, you have to control the things that you can control. And, and we've always, uh, strive to make sure that we're producing the, uh, uh, producing the best quality of goats that, that we can, and also to ship the highest quality of milk that we can off this farm. And, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's also very rewarding when you see results come in, um, you know, through DHIA test and, and through, you know, your average pounds per goat or whatever your benchmarks are. It's uh, very, very rewarding to see uh, the, your, the fruits of your labor pay off. Gotcha. And Jeremy, do you want to tell the listeners what's going on in June at your farm? Sure. So uh, for the third time, 
not only for the third time, this will be the third time hosting it, but for the third year in a row because of COVID, um, we are hosting the dairy breakfast on our farm for uh, the Boone and Winnebago, Winnebago Boone, excuse me, Winnebago Boone Farm Bureau Foundation. It's a benefit to um, help support our Ag in the Classroom program for Winnebago and Boone counties. Um, this will be the third time we've hosted it. We hosted it in 2014, 2015, and then again this year, and it's been kicked back, kicked down the road. This will be the, our third try again uh, because of COVID. But so June 11th, uh, it will be, uh, I believe, 630 to 11, we will be serving. The farm will be open uh, to the public. The barns will be open. You guys are welcome. Anybody that wants to come down is welcome to have pancakes and sausage and uh, tour the farm and see some awesome goats and and see the facilities and, and uh, kind of see how we do things. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fun. The day of the two months leading up to that are a nightmare, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a lot of work. And I honestly, we've, we volunteered to do this in 2020 and then, you know, COVID hit and then we kicked it down the road again last year, just because there were so many variables, but my dad was adamant, actually, uh, that we we were going to do it a third time, and I was like, "What? Why? 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 Why would we want to do this?" Um, but dad, dad, uh, they, Bob and Dad still own the farm, and so I can't really say no. But uh, he still is out here helping me, so I, I, you know, have to appease him. But once <laughs> April hits. Um, April and May and the beginning part of June are just, uh, any spare moment we have is, you know, we keep the farm pretty clean, but, uh, you know, cleaning every nook and cranny out. So April and May and, and, uh, the beginning part of June and leading up to the dairy breakfast are pretty busy. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I would say so. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to, uh, be our guest on Goat Gab, and and uh, this is one of those episodes that I think you need to sit down with a notepad and and take some good notes on it too. So, and I appreciate your patience with our technical difficulties. So, um, oh, no problem. And anybody, I mean, I I I really am. I I'm so passionate about shipping quality milk and and keeping my SMAX cell count so low. So you know, if anybody ever has any questions, uh, you know, reach out to me on Facebook or. Um, I, I have, I love talking about this stuff. It's, it's something that I'm passionate about and it's something that I don't think you could ever pay too much attention to. Um, you know, I, I said, I, the, uh, field man that I had that, you know, was like my grandpa. I always, I said that I would be the first one to have a smack cell count on a test that was below a hundred thousand and two times that I, I have been doing this in 25 years. I have had two tests that have been 100,000. I have never broken below that 100,000 mark. And I still, I, I, I'm still striving to hit that. And I'm never, I'm not going to quit. I, I, I don't know that I'll ever reach it, but I'm going to do uh, anything in my power to, to hit that mark. I, I really want to 
be the first one. And I, I don't know of anybody else in, in the, that's a commercial dairy goat producer that's ever been below a hundred thousand for a herd average. Uh, so I really want to, I, I'd like to be the first one and, and, uh, hit that mark. So I, I don't know how many more years I got in, I got left. I've been doing this for 25 years, but if it's another 25 years, hopefully at some point in time, I reach that mark. Well, we'll be rooting for you for sure. Thank you. As always, listeners, thanks for listening this week. Um, if you have any suggestions or guests that you would want to reach out, reach out to us and let us know, um, feel free to follow us on Facebook as well as subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave us some feedback as well. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Uh, we're always looking to improve here um, and deliver good content. Thanks, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you next week, everyone.